This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, as always, Dr. Andy Johnson. The topic of today's podcast is an important one. Well, they're all important for reading instructors, for teachers, for educators. It's called Collecting Data is Not Research. There's a difference between collecting data and research. While the research process includes data collection, collecting data is not research. Let me explain. The basic research process is this. You ask a question and then use data to answer the question. That's the basic process. What's the temperature? That's the question. Look at the thermometer. That's the data. 72 degrees. That's the answer. That's the basic process. An example in reading. Do our eyes fixate on every word as we read? That's the question. The data would be an analysis of reading using eye tracking systems. That's the data. And the answer would be no. Our eyes do not fixate on every word as we read. <clears throat> the research process includes data, but collecting data is not research. In the world of science and academia and education and reading instruction, research is not research unless and until it has been subjected to blind peer review. Collecting data is not research. Let me explain. Peer review or blind peer review refers to the process used to evaluate the quality of research. This is how it works. Once a study has been conducted, researchers write an article describing what they did and what they found. This article is sent off to an academic journal for consideration for publication. The editor of the journal selects reviewers who are considered to have expertise in the field and considered to know something about the research or what the research was about. These reviewers evaluate the study without knowing who conducted it. Hence the term blind peer reviewer. They review, they take the name off the study, off the article. Reviewers consider such thing as the clarity of the research question, the theoretical context in which the research question was set, the adequacy of the methodology, the analysis of the data, the interpretation of the data, the validity of the conclusions, and the quality of the writing. They then have four options. One, recommend it for publication. Two, recommend it for publication with revisions. Three, suggest specific revisions be made and that it be resubmitted for consideration. And four, recommend the article be rejected. Peer review simply denotes a process and the quality or rigor of this process varies. Reviewers and editors of highly prestigious academic journals use a process that's rigorous and very selective. 
these journals have low acceptance rates, acceptance rates, and tend to have considerable influence on the field. Other journals have a less rigorous review process and higher acceptance rates. However, all are still considered to be peer-reviewed journals. Blind peer review is not a perfect process, but it is a process, and this process is important. We recognize the process is not without bias or flaws. Peer review does not magically make research unbiased or pure. It's not possible for human beings to have a completely objective, unbiased view of anything. Peer review is simply another filter to try to remove some of the impurities related to bias, methodology, theoretical context, analysis, applications, and conclusions. But you, <clears throat> dear podcast listener, are the ultimate filter. You are the most important peer reviewer. In this respect, you must always ask, does the strategy or approach work with the students in front of you? <clears throat> does it enhance their ability to create meaning with print? Does it move them forward unimpeded in their journal to achieve their full literacy potential? Does it matter if a strategy or approach demonstrates significant results with a large sample size if it doesn't work with your small sample size, your students? So back to data collection. Data is not the same as research, even though some would like you to think so. Let's say I'm the owner of a new type of reading instruction program, we'll call it Rido. Rido is adopted by a school district and I decide to collect data. At the beginning of the year, the average score on the Walmart standardized reading test was 85. After three months, uh, the Walmart standardized reading test was again given. This time, the average score was 95. It raised 10 points. I collected data. So I then put the following label on my Rido website. Research shows that Rido is effective in raising students' reading achievement. Okay, I had data to back it up. But it wasn't research. It was just data. We don't know what the variable was here. What caused the scores to increase? Students' scores could have increased due to maturation. Or they were exposed to good books and writing. Or maybe they took the pre-test on a really bad day and the post-test on a really good day. Maybe all the good readers were sick on the pre-test and all the struggling readers were sick on the post-test. Maybe my sample size was only 10. And there are also no comparison groups. We don't know if Rido was better than something else or better than nothing or better than what usually is. Confusing data with research is a common practice in the for-profit realm. Or let's say I compared Rido to a variety of other programs. Posting test scores show that the Rido average was 95 on the Walmart standardized reading test. 
while the average score of the other programs was 93. I could say that Rito outperforms all the other programs. However, the difference in scores was not statistically significant. Statistical significance means greater than could occur by chance, which means there really was no difference. Confusing data with research is also a common practice with those who have a political or ideological agenda. Without peer review, we'd have no sense of how these other programs were taught, by who, for how long, or how often. This is done often in the reading instruction world when they try to say one program or approach is better than another. A common trick is to have highly trained teachers of program A give extended specialized program A instruction to a group of students and the measures used to determine growth essentially replicate what program A is teaching. And of course, program A is going to have higher scores than the other programs. Maybe these other programs did not have specialized training. Maybe they did not have specialized instruction. We just don't know without peer review. Confusing data with research is a common practice outside of education by those outside of the research or literacy field. Another common example is this. Test scores are going down. For example, here in Minnesota, some data show that reading test scores in our state have gone down over the last three years. Conclusions by some are these. Oh, our schools must be doing a horrible job. It's the teachers. Or the problem is the teacher education programs. They're not training new teachers how to teach reading. That's the common wine. We need to buy a product with big fancy words and fancy charts and graphs. Or we need to pay a private for-profit person or group or service to fix the problem. If it's a for-profit and has lobbyists and PR and marketing people, it has to be better than anything someone from the public sector could offer. After all, lobbyists and marketing people are always much more credible than, say, people with terminal degrees in literacy instruction who spend years studying research on how to best teach reading. Right? This is the case here in Minnesota. Of all the variables impacting children and their reading scores, some have decided that it has to be the teacher education programs that's making the test scores go down. It just has to be that. <clears throat> so, state legislatures, legislators and school administrators who have undoubtedly never read a research article about reading instruction or teacher education or anything have decided that since they once went to first grade that they must have all the answers for teaching reading and preparing teachers. They want to mandate letters 
a for-profit training program, professional development program for teachers, be mandated for teachers and pre-service teachers and teacher preparation program. After all, experts say it puts the why behind the phonics systems and it is effective and it's research-based. <clears throat> but who is an expert? Am I an expert? Are you an expert? What does it take to be an expert? And is the expert an expert in reading instruction? Or perhaps the expert is an expert in animal husbandry. It doesn't really say. But apparently an expert has said it. An expert has said this letters is an important program. After all, an expert said it. You can't argue with an expert, can you? <clears throat> now, reading scores may have indeed gone down in the last three years, but has anything else been going on? Oh, yes, we've had a pandemic, and students have been at home, and George Floyd, and housing shortages, and crowded classrooms. But if you look at, long, at the long term, at the National Assessment of Educational Progress data by the U.S. Department of Education, NAEP data, Minnesota 4th and 8th grade students are at about the same place they were in 1998. In 1998, the average reading scores for fourth grade students was 219. It steadily rose to 225 in 2017 and was 222 in 2019. Same with eighth grade, about the same. We're at about the same place. Now, it's natural for there to be a fluctuation in scores. But instead of reporting on the steady rise in reading scores from 1998 to 2017, or the statistically significant steadily rise in scores from 1972 to 2019, the focus is on a short-term dip in scores. Instead of calling for smaller class sizes, and better working conditions for teachers and funding for health care or, or food assistance, the call is for a mandatory for-profit letters training program for teachers and for students in teacher preparation programs. Because the experts say, 